This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast and I'm sitting here outside again we've in a series of podcasts out on the green this time we're on a different green we're in a green by the river and it's honestly the vibe here is just different there's loads of people out there's a little 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 sort of bar over there people queuing up for beers as well people are turning up with their little picnics their little drinks definitely a different vibe on the lockdown vibe as people seem to have relaxed and they're just going out and enjoying themselves and my name like I said is Billy Grant and I'm very happy with a smile on my face sitting here with my chums still socially distanced but I'm almost not quite almost a metre away not two you know because I can't quite be a metre away yet because I've still got a week and a half to go for that but I'm sitting here to my left is Jimmy Mack how are you doing Jimmy? Excellent, mate. Yeah, lovely to be out. Haven't been out much um, in, well, months really. Do you know what I mean? All been locked away, so uh, get the opportunity to come down here and have a little walk down my local high street, which has been knocked down since uh, last left the house, and then lovely walk down by the river, and you, you pass the Express Tavern, which has been uh, painted orange, it's gone full south all in time for the new stadium, across uh, the river, come to this lovely uh, green space, be a great area for cricket if they're allowed to play it. Um, yeah, mate, wonderful time to be alive, mate. We're moving on, things are opening up, the people are out and about. Good to be here, mate. Which is all good. We've got Robin Hood in the house, the Hood man. How are you doing? All the better for sitting here on a green with a couple of beers talking about football again. God, I've missed this. Really have missed it. It's Yeah, it's been um, what's felt like an age. It's felt like a different lifetime this past three months. Um, but yeah, I think the, the return of football at the weekend and of the Premiership, the Premiership and the Championship uh, has really helped sort of bring things back to sort of starting to feel like normality. But like I said, it's just it's been a it's been a, uh, a tumultuous couple of weeks, tumultuous couple of months, and yeah, to be sitting here, uh, as you said, on the green with my chums, having a few beers, yeah, it can be better. Laney, how are you? Good, very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm glowing, mate. I'm not sure whether it's too much sunshine today or I'm still still basking in the uh, three points from the Craven Cottage victory. We, we haven't mentioned that yet, have we? No, no, but I mean, how, how can we not? You know, I'm just, <laughs> I, still, I, I have to admit, it, it, it has lifted your mood. Just counting down till uh, Friday night. So, uh, 
yeah, so hopefully uh, we can uh, reel West Brom in a little bit more. I've got to ask a question, right? Because I mean, I, I, before I, I sort of had a little eye on sort of Man United, Sheffield, Sheffield United as I came out as a two nil to Man U, to, to Man U as I came out as well, and uh, I saw well, the playoff games, you know, Colchester and uh, Northampton and uh, Brighton. And, uh, are you sick of the football yet? I mean, how, how much how much football have you actually watched? I mean, I've, I've watched in, in this last week. I've watched so much football. I just like literally. I've watched more football probably in the last week than I've watched in the on the television. That is than in the last year. Yeah, I, I went for. Um, I didn't think I'd really be so ready for it to come back and welcome it so much. But then the when did it come back on a Wednesday. So by Tuesday, I felt like there was a World Cup starting. And Sheffield United, Aston Villa became the new Senegal versus Morocco or whatever it was. I, I had to watch it. I was really into it. Um, and. I think for the first four or five games, I was, not, I was like that. Actually, even Saturday, watch all the fixtures Saturday. Um, Saturday was good, actually, wasn't it? Saturday, there was, I can't remember there's a game, there's an important game Saturday, it'll, it'll, it'll come back to me. But <laughs> by yesterday, I'm, I, I am starting to feel like the lack of uh, crowd is is uh, making the games not as good as they could be overall. I think there is a lot of quiet moments and intensity's a bit down. Um, having said that, I've still watched, mo- this is probably the first, well, this is the first day I've gone where I haven't, I haven't watched a game yet, and I've done two games every day where there's been the opportunity to so far. So I'm still well into it, but you know they've got to raise their level a bit if they want to keep me watching. And this, and this is what I'm going to ask you because I was going to say that I've got really excited, but it's actually got to the stage where the, for me the novelty has actually worn off, and I'm actually starting to look at the schedule to pick the games that I really want to see. You know, and uh, you know, okay, maybe I might miss out on a fantastic match, but definitely the crowd, even though they have got their piped-in crowd noises as well, which is uh, you know, which is fine, but it's actually just at a level. It doesn't sort of kind of go up and down unless there's a goal. So it it kind of it pulls you in but you know it's not really will and I'm just sort of thinking you know it's not it isn't quite the same and also some of the games are actually a bit rubbish as well especially the Premier League games they're, they're, they're some of them are awful actually I'm just going back to the, uh, the the intensity I mean we all know the league the league and the Premier League speaking like that that's when we've had the most of or most possible games to view that's that's one thing the playoffs is the big example now the League Two, League One playoffs, Championship playoffs. To me, that's the highlight of the football calendar every year. Every game's like a cup final. Every minute is high intense. The crowd always going mental. Guaranteed pitch invasion at the end. I was watching that game. Was it Northampton, Cheltenham? The turnaround. Yeah. It just. It, it, it should. It was a great. It's such a great game. You just feel for those fans that haven't had the chance to witness that turnaround of being two 0 down to go away, and turn it around to win three 0 that, that what a night that would have been. You can't. Have, but every time there's a moment like that, it's just going to tinge a little bit. There's so many people are missing out on that special moment, and you know, that might be us coming a few weeks. You never know. I think it gives you. I think there is an opportunity still there. I think there is there is a lack of intensity. I think I think it's uh, like a ninety percent experience rather than like the full throttle that some that some clubs will or some teams will generate when there's like a big crowd there roaring them on. I think it's that adrenaline hit that you're not going you're not getting when you pick the ball up and there's a roar, and then that that spurs you on. You can't you, you can't replicate that. But if, if any if any clubs or any teams are able to generate like like Northampton did the other night, if Brentford are able to match that their their sort of pre pre lockdown intensity, um, then we stand a chance an even bigger chance because you know the other the teams that we're playing they're not they're ninety percent and a lot of the ninety percent teams we're playing weren't even weren't even as good as us anyway so. Uh, 
If we're 100% and they're only 90% and we still weren't any good, we're definitely going to win. I'm going to turn it to, because you just mentioned playoffs, and I think this is a, because if I don't mention it now, I'll forget it later. So I'm going to sit down there and I'm going to tell people, if you don't know it, the playoff dates for the championship. Sunday, the 26th of July, 6th place versus 3rd place, 6.30pm. And Monday, the 27th of July, 5th place versus 4th place at 7.45pm. And then the returns will be on Wednesday, the 29th of July, only a few days afterwards, 3rd place versus 6th place at 7.45pm. And Thursday, the 30th of July, 4th place versus 5th place at 7.45pm. So I'd say put those dates in the diary because, you know, before we even came into this uh, this period here, we were 95% chance of making the playoffs. And I think after beating Fulham now, we're going to have to go on a mighty, mighty, mighty cock-up of a run to actually slip out of the playoffs. So I think we can at least put those dates into our diary. I've definitely got them locked into the diary and trying to work out already what the, the run is going to be. I suppose it's just whether or not we're going to be, you know, in the third place and the fourth place if we do make the playoffs of course as well but also the big date to put in the diary is Tuesday the 4th of August at 7.45pm at Wembley Stadium and that's where the final is going to be so that's the interesting one but also as going a little bit of an exclusive as well uh, from my little tomato sauce as they say um, I've heard that there's a little bit of investigation potentially going on into the fact that there might even be the possibility of having some, we discussed this a few weeks ago, a bit of crowd action, maybe at the playoff final and maybe the FA Cup final, which is on the 1st of uh, August. Depends obviously what happened with the government because Wembley Stadium holds 90,000 people and maybe the idea of having maybe 20,000 people in the, in the stadium is not that unheard of, especially the playoffs, that's about eight and a half weeks' time now. It's just still it's still a while away, you know. So uh, for me, I'm thinking, oh, this could be a little bit exciting because for us to have... 10,000, well, minus the, the neutrals, so maybe 6,000 people in the stadium. That's not too, um, you know, 6,000 season yeah, ticket holders, yeah. you know, it's not too, it's not like Leeds United is no. going to have a nightmare if they had got there. No, I think, I think you're spot on there. I think tw- I mean, it's funny, I had this conversation with someone yesterday on the phone. We were just chatting about, you know, a few bits and bobs and we talked about the playoffs. And we, I mentioned that, you know, you'd heard that there's a possibility of fans being allowed into the, the Wembley final. And we said 20,000, funny enough, would be about spot on because it's, it's, that would be quite manageable. And at Wembley as well, Wembley's like a huge concourse around and outside. Um, so if you had 20,000 in the environs of Wembley and you had time slots where you were allowed in, you know, if you missed your time slot, you had to wait. You know, you either, either missed the game or you have to wait till everyone's in before you can, you can come in. But you could probably really kind of quite easily police people's entrance into the ground and, and maintaining a metre of distance. Probably every other seat. Uh, Wembley, easily, like every other seat with 20,000, it'll be, it'll be a doddle. Well, you've got tears. I mean, you've got all the tears. You know, you've got the side bit as well. There's always, there's always tears at a playoff final, usually from Brentford fans. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully there's no more tears this season, but, you know, we shall, we shall see about that. But, listen, it's going back to Saturday because apparently there was a big game on Saturday which I completely and utterly forgot about because I, I never mentioned it in my, in my initial chat about this one. But we, we played one of our West London rivals and we're going to talk about the game a little bit later. But I... What I'm actually more interested in is this new experience that we had. How did you watch the game and how did you find it, Jimmy? So um, it was the first time I'd really got together with my pals, actually, since uh, all the lockdown started. So uh, Mark Whelan, one of our, our regulars we go with, he's got a little place in Bagshot and he's, he's got a little uh, 
garden on the side of his house. He's put the telly outside, a little sun trap. So he invited us a few round, invited a few of us around there. We all sat around the table. Sky Sports was on outside. It felt like um, I had the feel of an away day, really. We we're getting going to his house, bringing a few drinks out there. The sun was shining. It's lovely, you know. I mean, the um, watching the game on the telly outside, you, you don't really get too invested in the commentary and what's going on in the stands, so that doesn't seem that different. But yeah, there's probably I don't know, six of us, six of us there, sat around catching up, first time in ages. It was a really excellent day, and um, the scoreline made it just that little bit sweeter. But you know, it could have been a nil-nil ball draw that, to get that. I mean, for me, foot, the, the football is always 20% of the day out anyway, and to get that time with your mates together in the sunshine, it was it was spectacular, and it really made me realise how much I miss it. To be honest, Robin. Uh, yeah, I did similar to Jimmy, uh, myself, uh, at the head, and a couple of other people gathered at uh, our friend's house, um, and and yeah, it was lovely. Sort of like I say, a little bit of a sun trap, um, and as I'm going to mirror exactly what Jimmy said, a lot of football is about that community spirit and about you know bringing people together, and yeah, I think the experience, whilst I, I actually quite enjoy the um, the fan noise, I think it adds a bit of authenticity to it and makes it seem a little bit more normal. I've kind of accepted that that's going to be the norm moving forward and we're just going to have to get used to it and just get accustomed to it a bit like VAR should we say it's, it's a new introduction into the game uh, but no it was, it was, it was lovely um, we had a few had a few beers um, plenty of crisps piled on the pounds in lockdown and that only uh, added to it um, and yeah like I said the, the football really really helped um, the result helped even more I think this is going to be the new norm and it's something that we should really really look forward to and I'm just looking forward to Saturdays again and I'm looking forward to that moment where I can get together with my pals and have a few drinks and watch, get, watch the game so yeah, similar. So yeah, I had, had five or six uh, mates round to my garden. I brought the telly out and put it on a bench and um, that kind of worked. Uh, I have to admit, I, I kind of, it helped having people around to kind of dilute the nerves a little bit because I was, I actually felt I was, I was more nervous than I thought because I, I, we spoke about it last week that it was so important that we got off to a good start and if we were going to do anything, momentum, um, the, the win was actually like the injection that we, we needed. So if you know, easily we could have been nil-nil and be a bit of an anti-climax or we would have lost and you know, from, from really looking forward and being up for it, you're kind of like, uh, okay, it's the playoffs then. Um, so really, you know, as I said, it, it was because everyone was chatting about the game, everyone was talking, it, I was kind of distracted a bit from the actual intensity of it. And um, you know, I know that they had a, they had a lot of chances. We're going to the game, I guess, in a, in a minute. But scoring the goal, the garden erupted, and then the second goal going in soon afterwards. I was so delighted because I was petrified. Those last ten minutes were going to be just nerve wrenching. Um, two two goal cushion was a million times better than a one goal cushion. So once the second one went in, I just knew we'd won. Um, and then we, we really did celebrate, yeah. So I had a bit of a, bit of a headache on Sunday. It's, it's mad because, I mean, I, I, I was in the garden, as you probably, probably, probably saw, you know, the TV out. Uh, and my daughter and her friend Olivia, Bella and Olivia were there. And the gutter thing for them is that they really managed to get them tickets for Craven Cottage and they so wanted to go. My daughter was so excited about going to Craven Cottage. She's been singing, you know, Fulham get battered and bees up Fulham down like, for, the past, for the past year, you know. So, you know, she, you know, she's totally in it now today. She went to school wearing a black Brentford top yesterday, a red and white Brentford top. She's so in it, you know, especially in North London where everyone's Arsenal and Tottenham as well. So she's transformed, but... You know, so 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 for her that, and I also had Darren who was on the podcast last week, and Big Bob, 
as well and, and, and Louis, Darren's son. So it's kind of like a sort of kind of couple of lads and a couple of kids so it's not family-ish type affair and again it's the same thing it, it is really different because in a way you're sort of sitting down there thinking you don't want to upset the neighbours because you all know that I had a little bit of an situation with my neighbours recently you know but at the same time I just thought but this is football and this is our football and, and it's not our fault that this lockdown has happened and it's not as if you're out all out night you've got just an hour and a half so just enjoy it as you can do so you realise that when you're sitting there you're talking at a sort of sort of kind of slightly lower voice but you raise it a little bit but when that goal went in when the goal went in it, the whole place erupted the shout down the road everyone was jumping around rolling on the grass you know big Bob was like yes oh, yeah. and I just thought you can't take the terrace doesn't matter where you're watching the game the terraces wherever you are you just cannot you know if you're in the pub if you're in your garden wherever and I haven't really experienced it because I don't watch Brentford at home I never when's the last time have you ever seen a live Brentford match in your house you know if they're playing away you'll go down the pub and watch it and that's not very often but more often than not you're actually at the game yeah the, the last time I remember the last time I watched Brentford um, at home was a Boxing Day game oh, anyway yeah, it, was, it was Boxing Day I mean yeah, I went to the pub and watched exactly. that down and it was just, just yeah I was in Brighton then I remember. What was the, did we beat them? Yeah, we, I think we beat them. We yeah, always beat them. It was two yeah. one. It was two <laughs> one. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, again, it's, 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 it's like very, very rare. Yeah. So I agree. So um, it's going to be it's going to be really hard. I think on Friday night, if I, if I'm honest with you, the away game, I I could quite easily live with that. That was that wasn't a problem. The fact that we know that we could we could be within earshot of of, of the action. We could be walking around the ground, you know what I mean? We're seeing the ball. You, the, the, you know, you could get close to it. I, I'm not going to, um, but it, I think... Well, well, let me make a little suggestion. I mean, where we are right now, which is it is quite an air try. It's a lovely green air. There's a little bit of a bar there in the corner there. I mean, we could always come down here and somehow and watch the game, don't you think? You know, that'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it? It's, it's, it's very tempting. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, it, it, it's, it's kind of... Um, I'm not a massively spiritual person, but to be close to be close to it is, I think, it's quite symbolic at the moment. It's kind of, uh, I think, I think the the the, mag, the the magnetic pull of being close to Brentford and Griffin Park, especially with the clo- the closure of Griffin Park, you know, w- within weeks now, um, it is it, kind of ve- it's it, it's tempting to be to be right next to it, but if I can't be right next to it, to be to be like within a mile of it, it I, I can see the draw. Yeah, yeah. I think um, completely mirror Dave's point there. I'm lucky that I don't live too far from Griffin Park, and I live even closer to the um, to the new stadium. And on the second of May, when it was due to be our last ever game, I made sure I was I was in. I did a little cycle lap of the of the two grounds just because I felt like I needed to be there. And I think you're absolutely right. The terrace is wherever you go, but I, it, I I'm not looking. The one thing I'm not looking forward to about Friday's game against West Brom is the fact that I will be seeing Griffin Park on telly and not being able to be there it's frustrating and it's entirely necessary because uh, it's allowed the return of football at the sacrifice of not being able to go and watch it live but yeah that's going to be something quite difficult I mean with with the new like one metre plus rules that are going to be introduced you know and especially like from the 4th of, of July you could argue that you know you, you could let season ticket holders into Griffin Park that I mean, maybe that's something we might see. We've got five, we've got five and a half thousand, six thousand season ticket holders. You could probably, you could probably, or you could argue, you could, you know, the logistics. No Barnsley fans. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a, 
you could argue that that's that's possible, and maybe maybe that should be investigated because you know, if if at all possible, why not? You know, if, if it's all right to be in a pub with, with you know with 500 people in a pub potentially in a big pub, um, why not? You know, you, you, if it's every other seat, you're you're a meet, you're you know you you're in with the regs. So I, I I think I think it's something that should be investigated. But I'll come back to my light at the end of the tunnel that was always there. Okay, if that's investigated, but it can't happen. But if all of a sudden they're thinking that maybe they can let you know fans into Wembley because it's a much bigger stadium, so you can widely spread more widely. If somebody wanted to really push for a final game, competitive game at Griffin Park, why couldn't the first game? of the next season be at Griffin Park which is what I've always said because you know you limit it to season ticket holders or whatever it may be and you've got 6,000 and by that stage you're sort of one or two months even further down the line and you could say boom let's start off at Griffin Park and then let's just move on yeah I mean it's it's a brilliant idea but it's into those is there enough energy for that to happen and you know there's no reason why it, it, it shouldn't happen but would it will it happen the thing is it can happen the reason it's more likely to happen if that was to happen because what's happened is that it's the developers who are the ones who are circling around waiting to to develop griffin park however if it's september then there's a light there in the tunnel if we're talking about october november or december then that becomes a bit more of an issue because they're going to want to start building because they've got so much money tied up in it but i never thought that fans will be allowed anywhere near a stadium in August or September but if these are the things that they're talking about I'm still saying surely we, we could start off the first game of the next season at Griffin Park it doesn't matter what the rules are what the FA says what everyone else says that just be, would be absolutely marvellous and it will just send it off in the right way point of the last game of Griffin Park letting fans in another way how we're victims of our own success because I remember when uh, um, Scott Fitzgerald was the manager we were always free meter social distancing at Griffin Park because nobody <laughs> went. So uh, this is, you know, maybe having 12,000 there is... Let's, let's, let's not forget how far we've come. But secondly, an idea for the, uh, for the new stadium. How about in a revolutionary sort of... Let's throw the rules out the window. First game of next year, first half of Griffin Park and 12,000 walk down to the new stadium and play the second <laughs> half of the new ground. Or we play the whole game at Griffin Park and if we win it, we, we say that's the result. If we lose it, we say... No, 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 that's not a real game. Then we played a real game. We walked down to the big new stadium and we play it again, and then that was the real game. It's not going to work. I've always been up for. I was. I've always been up for a symbolic procession because because, you know the the history. We had this. We might have heard it before in the podcast, but we did have a, a win in the 18, early 1890s against Westminster Ponsonby and the team came back to Kew Station and then they walked along from Kew all the way through Brentford High Street up into um, one of the pubs in, the, in like the, you know, the Brentford High Street part up near the court and they had a, like a banquet there and there's, there's a brilliant um, paragraph or two about everyone coming out and lighting bonfire, coloured bonfires and letting fireworks off and the new fire, the fire engine came out and you know um, it was like a biggest thing that had happened in Brentford High Street for, for donkey's years and like the whole procession and I think that would be incredible to kind of do it the other way yeah, yeah. like do do the procession up to, up to queue yeah, yeah yeah so yeah I'm up for the procession and and a game of two halves in two different stadiums I'm, I'm in for I'm up for that, yeah, I'm I'm in for that. <laughs> right okay we'll, we'll put it forward and let's see how it goes <laughs>
one last point before we go on to the game as well. This actually does refer to the game, and this was a, a poignant moment during the match, which has happened actually during all the matches. We, we touched on this a little bit last week, but we were caught a little bit on the hop because uh, uh, Brentford had just released a new video, a new anti-racism or anti-prejudice video, as it was, which we commented on, but we'd actually only literally seen it about a minute before we'd actually pressed record because it's just come out. And we made a few comments, but you know we've had a little bit more time to reflect as well. And also there's been a lot of things that have been happening in and around the UK. We felt that it wouldn't be right if we actually didn't comment on it. And what was interesting, obviously, before the match, the whole Brentford team and the Fulham team, as all the other players have around the country, took the knee in the Black Lives Matter cause. They took the knee, photographs there, it's on television, gone around the whole country, gone around the whole world, actually. And then they went off and they played their game. I say naturally, and I shouldn't really say naturally, but naturally, there was uh, a lot of positive comments off the back of that but also there was a lot of negative comments as well off the back of that which people have heard about you know uh, white lives matter you know all lives matter the timing and the reasons and who exactly are dropping these 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 comments i put little bit question marks on now from what i can gather and i haven't like i said to you i haven't delved massively into the social media but it seems like ollie was getting a lot of grief or he's getting a lot of flack a lot of comeback from him taking the knee and it seems like there are fans saying things like, you know, we're going to give up our season ticket. We don't want to be here anymore. Why are we doing this? You know, white lives matter, all lives matter. So much so that Ollie Watkins had to actually write a response to why he felt that this cause was a valid cause and why he felt that the players had done that. The statement from Ollie Watkins says it all. And I'm just going to read it out right here because I thought it was well written and well thought through. I have been quiet on everything that's been going on lately, but I've seen a handful of comments from Brentford fans today stating all lives matter, so I wanted to help them understand. Of course all lives matter. No one is suggesting other lives don't. Black lives matter doesn't mean black people are more superior. It's bringing attention to the fact that black people across the world have been treated unfairly and how this needs to change. Thank you to all the fans who support us and support the Black Lives Matter movement. And to me there, it's as clear, it's so clear. Basically, he's saying there's no divide. We're not going black and white. We're just raising issues which have been festering, not for days or weeks or months, but for years. And this movement, you know, whatever you want to call it, you can call it Black Lives Matter, you can call it, you know, chicken in the egg, whatever it may be. It's whatever, it doesn't matter what the name is, but this is the thing that has enabled people around the world to feel brave enough to walk out and talk out against things that have been really bugging them. That is the issue. And the people, we don't accept that. My personal belief is that you don't really want to believe it. In a lot of areas, it hasn't gone down particularly well. Now, I'm just sort of sitting around here with you guys because I've been relatively quiet on this. Main reason is because for most of my life, I've had to, I've just been fighting this area, fighting this cause, always fighting with people, I'm always on demos, always on forums, always on radio programs, always talking about this. And it kind of gets to the stage where you kind of just get a bit tired. You get a bit tired of being the one that is always explaining 
Billy Grant, the Black England fan? What's it like being an England fan? What's it like being a football fan? What was it like in the eighties? What happened here? What happened this? What people are, have they changed? Have they not changed? You're, you're always doing it. You're always explaining. You're always being the educator. Now, I love being the educator because I think that if you can go and have, you know, we talked about the time when I spoke to, the, you know, the Polish guy when I was over in Poland, and he and he he, he made the comment, you know, half an hour through the conversation. By the way, you won't like me because I, I don't like black people. And I ended up going to the bar, getting a drink, and said, right, you you explain to me in in, in an hour why you don't like black people right and if you can explain in a perfectly valid reason i'll buy you a drink we sat down for an hour and his, his reasons were rubbish I, I, I spend my whole life doing things like that i've been on the cutting edge of um prejudice racism the whole lot i don't preach about it the whole time because i've lived in this country for years you know how to avoid it how to tiptoe it how to as i used to say back in the day play the white man you know what i'm saying play oh i might play the white man you know what did that phrase mean it basically meant if you stood out if you were black then you would kind of get picked on so if you kind of tried to blend in and inverted commas be the white man and just kind of like if anyone's making fun of you or doing anything like that just don't say anything then you'd be all right and it was a it was quite a phrase it was properly it was a nasty phrase you were looking around thinking what am i going to do here i'm surrounded by these people and the best way for me to act is just to kind of just blend in so if they start poking fun or making these noises or doing anything that is not quite right instead of me talking about it if i talk about it they'll go yeah you're out of order you are you got a chip in your shoulder if i'm quiet then i'm playing the white man the point i'm just making about this whole black lives matter thing this movement and i've been thinking about this a lot it started off in america but what has happened around the world for me has really really actually quite amazed me because what it's done is what happened um in america a couple of months ago right which has started you know the demonstrations around the world all that's happened is that people all around the world have said tell you something this is our moment to just say what we're not happy about and everyone has got their almost like their own little localized things that they're not happy about for me, it may be the fact that, you know, my football club never really kind of dealt with the racism issue for 20 or 30 odd years, OK? And football in general hasn't dealt with racism properly. They've got all their kick it out and all these other things which do things which are quite nice and, you know, T-shirts and all that stuff. But really, it doesn't deal with the hardcore issues. All of a sudden now, because worldwide everyone's demonstrating, they feel that they can jump on the back of it. OK, which is a good thing. For other footballers, it might be the fact that they feel that they can't become managers or they've been victimised in pertinent ways. You know, somebody at school might feel that it might be the way that his te- school teachers are teaching him. Somebody else in Hackney, it might be the fact that, you know, he might have been stopped 30 times or 40 times while driving his car. Everyone, their whole localised reasons why are coming out. For me, for once, for actual once, you've actually seen some real action all around the world where people are saying, this, we don't care. Even though there's a pandemic, which is actually really scary and you can die, we are so angry, we are going to go out in the streets and we're going to show people, we ain't going to go and like Facebook, as people used to do, oh yeah, let's demonstrate by having a million likes on Facebook. What's, what's the point of that? We're going on the streets because people, when they see people on the streets, they go, oh my God, they must be really angry if they're out there sort of demonstrating and just, you know, peaceful. 98% of the people peaceful demonstrating. What's happened off the back of this, the point that I'm going to say, and I wasn't meant to go into a bit of a rant, but I get passionate about these things, is this isn't about white lives don't matter. It's not about, you know, all lives don't matter. Of course, everybody matters. What this is, is highlighting that there has been a number of issues for a number of years that to be quite honest with you haven't really been dealt with right and the fuse paper's gone and they thought it let's just let people know that we're not happy and they've all come together as one 
and certain people are just a little bit, I think they're a little bit scared because I've never seen a demonstration like this by so many people who are so f***ed off at one time and also so many other people backing it because before people wouldn't back it. Clubs wouldn't, clubs wouldn't turn around and say, we're going to do this, we're going to do all this. They never do that before. So for me, there's been a lot of positives. I, I think the, 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 the thing I want to focus on really is the positives. I, I think there's been a, a vast amount of positives. Um, as you say, there's, you know, there's a minority of people on the fringes at, at both ends. Um, you know, on those two, the, the two different Saturdays in the, the demos up in, up in London. Um, there were there were people that you know overstepped the mark, but you can't let that contaminate what basically has been a hugely positive and 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 an upbeat time for um, raising that, that awareness. And you know, no no none of us can appreciate what what growing up's been like. The three of us are, are white lads here. Bill, you're you know you're a black lad, and you've 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 grown up in in Britain. We we don't you know we we can empathise and understand, but we can't actually we we haven't we haven't had that lived experience, which gives you a, kind of a unique insight into kind of how how different it, it's been for you growing up. But you know what I will say is that um, you know. Ollie Watkins shouldn't have had to have gone in on, on, on Saturday night to explain himself. I think the vast majority of Brentford fans will be would have been proud of their club for, for what they did um, at kick-off against Fulham. And obviously there are people that are outraged by, by that. Um, and the club have been quite clear and they, and they, they need to be quite clear of, of you know, not, the club aren't going to educate these people or, or brainwash these people or make these people think anything different. You know, that's, 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 that's you know, it's too big an ask, but they, they are able to say what, what, they, what they think of people like that supporting their club or being, being around Brentford. You know, it's, it's up to Brentford to kind of stand strong and, um, and paint a vision of what, what kind of football club they they are they want to be they, they they need to be they need to be bold. Um, you look at the makeup of our team. You look at the makeup of our community. Um, the club the club needs to stand up for all of those people. It's it's not about it's not about the you know the the people on the on, on the fringes of that that are filled of hate. It's about it's about the rest of us and um, you know it's it's important the club are, are firm. The club and I've been going on about this for years. The club have never really gone out on an edge on anything like that. They've sat in the middle and they've just kind of just put their heads under the you know under the under the rug as it is and hope any problems go away and there's been you know there's been problems and racism at Brentford for years it just it just has been okay which is wrong because it's wrong for the players it's wrong for the staff it's wrong for the fans or people who are there because at the end of the day they're the ones that actually end up having to take the stick and the club just goes it's got nothing to do with me but what is interesting for the first time ever and I've been supporting Brentford for the first 40 years I've heard them turn around and say actually you've got nothing to do with us if that's the way that you feel nothing to do with us which meant I figured hold on a second you've got my back so 20 odd years ago when I was getting kicked around the terraces or 25, 30 years ago by skinheads and all this that the other going Z-Gar, Z-Gar, Z-Gar and all that lot and I turned to the club and said can you help me please and they went ah no we can't do that because they, they pay their season ticket money and you know we can't really we can't really do anything about that the club let me down. Listen, that's in the past. It doesn't bother me because I'm, I'm doing my own thing. I'm happy. You've got my family. I'm, I'm my laughs. That's not a problem. But that's still there. So it's interesting. It's taken till now for the club to do a U-turn and actually say that. It's taken the movement, whatever you may call it, Black Lives Matter, stand up for, you know, anti-prejudice, whatever you may want to call it. It's taken the movement for them to ride off the back of it, to move into making a move, which isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. And hopefully off the back of that, 
more fans that I know that still won't go to football because they think that football has got an element which will make them feel uncomfortable. But also, finally, if the football clubs are actually saying, listen, we're not dealing with this, we may actually start wanting to go to matches. On that very point, there's something very powerful about football making this stand, right? An uncomfortable fact about the Black Lives Matter movement, which no one can deny, is, I mean, the, the whole thing is about equality, right? And look at football management positions, management positions across the country, boardroom level positions. I don't know the stats, but it's definitely less than probably 5% of people are non-white. Football's one of the true, and sport in general is one of the true meritocracies we got, right? You can't hide. If you're not good enough in football, then you're going to be found out very quickly. You can't be the son of someone uh, rich and be up front for Man United. If you're not good enough, you can be found out. So football is going to, football and sport in general is always going to have a very um, a diverse um, you know, staff level. And we talk about players. On the pitch. On the pitch. Good point, yeah. Um, on the pitch. So seeing it's not the same behind the but behind no, the scenes. Again, and that, I referenced that earlier, right? We know that the managerial managerial positions aren't very low, but on the pitch and in no, the offices, there's no, there's no hiding from it. So um, that the the image of all the players, twenty two of them on the pitch, all from different uh, nations and backgrounds and colours, whatever you want to call it, breaking the stand, going doing the knee is powerful, and it should you know it should inspire future generations to say that listen, if you work hard at that game. As a footballer, you can do this, but there's obviously work to be done away from that. Right? Football is football, like you say, is, is so powerful. It's got such a drive and such a an outreach to people all across the globe, uh, whatever race, ethnicity, religion, background, age group. It, it reaches so many different people. Now, people can talk about footballers being um, overpaid. People can talk about them being uh, sort of you know drama queens or whatever you want to call it. They have a very very significant power to make change. And I think the fact that they are taking the knee, the fact that they are making a stand at this time, really really does. Okay, help. listen, sorry to. I'm cut you off there because I think we're just going to do this briefly then we're going to move on because we've got a match to talk about but I've got to bring this point up as well because some people will turn around and they'll think well hold on a second you know I, I, I do understand your black lives matter but all, all lives do matter you know and they will truly feel that this is actually a valid point and why are they concentrating on the black life issue when actually we're in a world here which is mixed with black and white and, and Asian and everybody else and, and does it not polarise white people? Well, we're, we're, we're fighting one particular fire at the moment. You know, we, we've, what's happened in the States is kind of like really put a microscope on the, 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 the huge injustices um, over there and, you know, obviously the, by reflection when you hold up a mirror you kind of think, well, you know, thing, things aren't great here, and and it's it, it, it's a good time to, to to make a stand and to to raise those issues. Doesn't doesn't mean we can't have a conversation about other inequalities in life in a month or two months' time, and it doesn't mean that those all, all those other issues aren't important at all just because we're talking about this situation now. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's um, it's just used as an excuse by certain people. To be honest with you, I think I think most 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 intelligent people realise that you know obviously all lives matter. It's it's it's, uh, it's again it's a, it's a very small percentage. It's, it's the it's the margins that that kind of manipulate and they use it to divide. I think I think you know most people can see it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an it's an opportunity to unite, not divide. I think you made a very important point here. There's a case of educating, right? But it's also a case, I think, of people. There's some people who truly don't give a monkeys. They actually basically are like, we don't like black people, and this Black Lives Matter thing is just out of order. And we just want to, and we want to, we, we want to discredit as much as we can do. But there are also, I think, some people are thinking, why 
are they concentrating and about and i think for those people we need to make them understand it's not about being it's not about being racist it's not about us not talking about you it's an issue has come up which has been basically festering for years I've been angry about lots of things. My mates have been angry about lots. Of, there's so many people that are just angry, but we just deal with it. We park it. We just leave it. And the touch paper has been lit, and it's now gone off. And everybody who has had some sort of an issue for telling something, I'm coming at me house now, or I'm writing something on Facebook, or I'm talking about it now because this has been a massive issue. And finally, somebody is listening. And this is what a lot of people do not understand. Well, there's a lot. There's a lack of honesty by some people as well. Some people are absolutely to their core racist, but they say they're not. You know, they if they if they come out and actually said they they come out and said it. Yeah, I I really don't like I really don't like blacks and I really don't like Asians and I really don't like foreigners. They 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 won't say it. They 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 hide and uh, you know. It's, it's their it's their kind of uh, lack of honesty and integrity that, that kind of that, that as I said that it contaminates what is apart from the margins a very very positive uh, time. People look at small incidents and think right that's all racism is and then try and sweep it under the carpet. What's happening now is we are actually addressing the grander issue. We are addressing what's been going on, like Billy has said, for 30, 40, however many years. Okay, and I think that's the key thing right now is that it's not just marginalised incidents. But bringing it, bringing it back to, to Brentford and, and, and their stance and their, and their kind of uh, statements over, over what's happened at the weekend and what has happened going forward, I can see you know, the taking the knee seems to be continuing um, our kick-off in every game. Um, so I don't think that's going to change before the end of the season. So these arguments um, are only going to grow and the club needs to be consistent and firm. And the thing I'll say to people is, and I'm coming back here because yes, I've been around and, and, and around, the, around the blocks, I, I know this stuff by the back of my hand, I've seen it all, I've been there, I've kind of ignored it sometimes, I've come back to it. What I'll say is that don't get upset by it. If, if you are a person who truly believes that you are not racist, do not get upset by this because at the end of the day, it is not pointing a finger at you okay what it's doing is just basically kind of it's almost like a bit of a cry for help right people saying listen we're not happy about this and you should actually kind of embrace this okay yeah i'm bill i, I can't say it. i'm not going to try and say it uh, any clearer than you do but what what i'm interested in is is it, it does i mean not on this scale but it, it does feel like in a way we've been here before in, in smaller scales right where it's been a bit of a bit of a bit of noise made i'm talking specifically about about football what football clubs do bit of noise made there's a bit of you know kick it out there's a few banners a few t-shirts this feels like it's on a slightly bigger scale there's you know every game sky sports behind it, that kind of thing the football league are fun away behind it but you know we, we mentioned the thing about the players you know players on the playing field is a, a meritocracy anyway we've said that so that's probably never going to change while football's so valuable but where does it go afterwards right once this settles down because in six months time there's going to be a new news agenda this is going to fade away a little bit what will be the legacy of this moment? Will there be one? Will it? Will will there be a, like an equivalent Rooney rule, something like that? Is there going to be discussion about it? A lot of people are making the right noises. I think if you ignore the social media cesspit, I think most of society is coming with it. But in, in a year's time, what's the legacy? And that will be interesting to see how people can actually deal with that. Because the, the 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 sad truth for that is going to mean some people who are currently sitting in. I said the sad truth is a wrong expression. The realistic truth, the, the realistic, well, the truth of that is going to be some people who are sitting in comfortable positions are going to be conceding their positions for other people, right? That is what, that's the, that's the grey, the dark area of this discussion, the uncomfortable uh, area. And um, whether in a year's time 
that's truly been changed or not uh, it remains to be seen hope it does we'll see so I have to say I'm really delighted that the club has taken this stance a very hardcore stance basically saying we are backing our black players our BAME players our BAME staff our BAME fans no they didn't do it in the past and they've obviously realised that this is a problem this is an issue they, they probably feel bad for not doing it and they've decided actually if we're going to move forward as a progressive club who's together, who's bringing the community in. We're not going to be doing the T-shirts and all this nonsense. It's lovely doing that, but it doesn't really cut the mustard. We really need to get down to the nitty-gritty and we need to back the people who need backing. And I think this attitude is positive and I'm really glad the club's doing it. And I think for the club, moving forward, this is a really positive move. We're going to a new stadium and if we take this positive attitude with us, put out positive messages, this will be a game changer, trust me. So we've got some football to talk about because Fulham, at the weekend, when Brentford went to Craven Cottage, was a very good day. We're going to talk about our trip to Craven Cottage after this twang. Craven Cottage on Saturday. What a great place to be if you can get in. Obviously, we didn't get in because we were in our own little zones. But that match... I'm still smiling about it now, and it's Wednesday. Um, I mean, I know they keep on saying it's our cup final, but and I said it last week, you know, how many cup finals do you win before it stops becoming a cup final? And for us, like I said, before the break, I, I really felt that we were going to win this game. I was a little bit nervous about this one, but in the end, there were a few nervous moments, but I think we played Fulham down to a tee. Yeah, lovely win, mate. Um, hard to remember that, you know, what feels like a new season. It's the same season, of course, and... It's four derby wins out of four, which is fantastic, right? At the start of the year, generally, I, my, my feeling is if we can stand in the division and win all the derbies, then it's been a good year. So, officially, it's been a good year. Officially, it's been a good season. Another good win. Um, I mean, yeah, mate, I thought, for me, I think the key to this run is going to be Pontus Janssen, right? He brings so much... He seems to bring a stability, a ground into that team that um, we missed when he was away. So... Um, maybe his return, maybe the break and his return consequentially is going to work in our favour, right? And I don't think, I don't think it was the most dynamic performance. I think it was maybe not amazing up front. Fulham had some chances, but you know we weathered all the storms. I think Ray had a really great game, and I, I'm one of the few people who critique Ben Rama a little bit because I think you know for all his skills and you know his amazing stats, he, he does go missing for a bit. And for, for the Fulham game, I was given maybe a little grief saying he, he did go missing, but last five minutes he pops up a goal and an assist, so uh, excellent. It's interesting you talked about Pontus Jensen. I mean, I mean, obviously Pontus when he was out, our away form dipped. Our, sorry, our away form dipped. Our, our, our um, defence record dipped as well because we had the best defensive record before he went off injured and he's come back again. But there was a few people that were saying that Pontus versus Mitrovic and Mitrovic in general had the better of him. So they they reckon that Pontus didn't have the best game. Um, Mitrovic weighed double. What Pontus did, by looks of it, I can't work out if it was just because he hadn't had a haircut in a, in a few months, or he just spent he'd he'd um, mastered the lockdown stone. Uh, <laughs> but he looked like a real beefcake, didn't he? And he, he got he did get past the answer a few times, but I think uh, I think a lot was made of the chances he had. Um, yeah, no, I, I wasn't too worried about it. To be honest. Yeah, we we rode our luck at times, and it was it, it could have been you know we could have been one or two down. Um, you know, it, it was it was a you know a very very 
good game of football. Fulham, we know they're a decent team. They, they're dangerous. They, you know, their their finishing was poor. Um, I, I think Brentford had. I think we were fitter in the end. I think our fitness showed. I think those games we talked we talked about last week and the week before those three 90-minute games they they helped us massively. Um, and the substitutions from Thomas Frank, they were they were excellent. I think Valencia. And Marcondes made made a big difference. Obviously, obviously Marcondes um, with the with the goal and the and the assist, um, he he really did kind of shine. So, you know, the those that last ten minutes, it was uh, that, that was a big ten minutes. Brentford, um, we we showed um, the desire and the, and the fitness levels and I think we can be really buoyed for, for, the, for the next game at least you know it's, it has to be one game at a time obviously um, you know we can't get too carried away because you know if we, we lose on Friday night it's you know it's, it's, it's different but you know I, I think Brentford clearly shows that they're really up for this this fight they they are really focused on promotion still and in being being in the top two. They're, they're not they're not set, settling for second best and I, and I I thought that when that second goal went in I think there was an absolute massive message shouted out to the but by the, Mark, uh, Emiliano Mercondes wasn't it yes he well the, <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what was it what was his message Jim fuck Fulham <laughs> <laughs> so apparently it's not even allegedly because it's actually on the iFollow footage there after Emiliano, Emiliano Marcondes scored the second goal he ran over put his fists up and you can see the photograph of it as well and he went fuck Fulham you know what I'm saying <laughs> which is uh, something that he probably yeah. learnt in, a, in his uh, English lessons on a, on a Tuesday afternoon that he goes to um, a very good English teacher yeah, I'd like to uh, it's clear to see what Jimmy Mack's been doing in lockdown mastering the Danish accent there as well it was absolutely phenomenal um, dried herring <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, th- I thought I thought the performance itself was very good. I think it was quite indicative that maybe our, arguably our weakest player was probably Matthias Jensen in terms of a few bad passes that he gave away. And th- th- but he still did Joe Bryan absolutely dirty. It was absolutely beautiful to see. Oh, it was it was it was pornography basically it was um, it was a very accomplished performance I think the key thing that you rightly said is we got that second goal we weren't happy with just sitting back and defending and by the way Brentford have been very very good at defending this season which is not a statement I thought I'd ever say um, in any shape or form but I think yeah the key thing was the way in which we we counter-attacked um, for that second goal and Ben Rama like you say came alive in the last 10 minutes and I think 16 seconds it took from from the corner to actually put in the back of the net I'm used to being 16 seconds Bill it's fine um, I think the uh, um, the, the key, the key thing for me is that second goal. Mark really did make a statement. It was a an arrogance about us. We thought we're not just going to settle for a one 0 defeat. We're going to go and get another one. And breaking away like that and scoring in that fashion, uh, yeah, it was it was beautiful. Uh, Fulhamish, Ful- I'm just going to say Fulhamish were actually we listened to the Fulhamish podcast after the game as well. They weren't very happy. They they didn't talk about Brentford very much. They talked about themselves uh, uh, quite a lot and, and and what their deficiencies were. And the, and the one thing, that the deficiencies that they sort of kind of pointed out was the midfield. We're basically, in effect, our midfield was better. Uh, we out-tacticked them in midfield, and particularly when we decided to switch up the game. And we brought Marcondes on, and also Baptiste as well. And all of a sudden, we switched Ben Rama in the middle, and it was all over for them. They were like, they didn't, just didn't know what to do. And I think that... Um, and they also weren't happy because we gave it a little bit last, saying we kind of knew what the game plan was. We were going to hold them out 
for 80 minutes and then we'll hit them bang bang but if you notice that's been Thomas Frank's kind of sort of tactic he's almost like confident enough that we're going to be able to defend the game and not let in a goal and our sort of kind of tactic is almost like we'll just kind of like yeah give them the ball a little bit have a little goal we'll defend it and then bang we'll hit them quick on the break and I just thought that in that respect our game plan was actually really good um, no, I think the key moment was when they took Harrison Reed off their defensive midfielder. Um, I know he's a poor man's Rowan Woods, but he was, he, I thought he was really holding their midfield together. And they, they brought him off on, I think, 70 minutes. We brought Marcondes on a little bit earlier, and we, we had them from then on. And that, that was really was a turning point. I'm surprised you've uh, not said that you called the result exactly spot on. You said 2-0. I, I, did, I did say 2-0, but I, I was waiting. I was actually waiting for you <laughs> to, to mention the fact that I'd actually called well, the 2-0. When, when you said 2-0, I thought, oh, bro, that's a big call. Two, like, nil. I, I honestly couldn't see us not conceding. But, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people say you don't know what you're talking about, but obviously you do. Listen, I'll just, yeah, just, just keep, I'll keep holding it down. <laughs> you wait till I get my, uh, my, my 7 0 for, uh, for against the West Brom a little bit later. <laughs> you know, but yeah, but again, that game, I mean, players, I mean, obviously, um, uh, Emiliano Mocundes, we talked about the, the, the fact that, you know, there were no fans in the stadium, so maybe the, the pressure was off his shoulders a bit. But a lot of people are saying no, because he'd, uh, his trip to, to Denmark, where he played for FCM over there, and he had a, a reasonably decent um, spell over there but when he's come back he's actually looked half decent so it's probably not a case of the, having the pressure on his back because from what I can understand he's quite a confident little chap yeah um, little chap um, <laughs> definitely little other than Emiliano his name's, um, his name's Emiliano uh, um, I think he's I've always had faith that he'd come good uh, this, this fella when he joined us the first time he had an injury, didn't he? He had a couple of injuries and didn't really get going because of that. We had a good team, he couldn't get in. But he's definitely got quality about him. 100% can can have that playmaker role. He can he can pick a pass. He's you know he's fit. He can, he can get across the pitch. Knows where the goal is. Um, so this this could be. He looks like he's in great nick. He's got to a really good start. He's going to be, a, I think, a very key player for the, for the running, actually. I do think that he had a Fulham defender's game a little bit of an easy ride for that second goal. Though. I mean, if you get right to the end, obviously he's made a good run. It's been a good pass to Ben Rama. He's cutting the first man. Then there's about five or six players around him. And the, and the goalie. How he's, how he's had the time to be able to get a shot away. Right in the middle of the goal. In the middle of the goal, yeah. on a penalty spot. I mean, that's criminal, really. But um, a smooth criminal, like the Michael Jackson yeah. statue. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it, and if you think back to the, 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 first, the first game of the season against Birmingham, he was playing in that central striker role. And it's, a complete, it's chalk and cheese. It's a completely different player now that we're seeing and I think he's, he thrives on confidence he thrives on achieving certain things and they're little wins like that goal against Stoke City in the FA Cup game although it was a, you know you could argue was it a fluke was it not a fluke I think since then he's just kicked on a bit and he, although he's only a bit of a cameo player he comes on for 25 minutes um, he, he, he's I think he's building this confidence and he's going to be a major impact sub moving forward I think major impact sub. You, you referenced Michael Jackson there Jim but have they still got the statue at Craven Cottage or no? Nah, I think the statue is I think, I think the statue is the statue's gone but anyway we, we, we should move on but you're talking about cameo players cameo players are quite interesting because for Brentford if you speak to people before this game they're all going well you know with the with the water breaks and the extra time you know and and and, and the coronavirus you know you need to have a big squad and Brentford haven't got a big enough squad so you know it's going to be quite difficult for them compared to teams that have got more money and I was thinking about this again but I think the difference between is that what their definition of not having a big enough squad is that out of your first 11, 
they don't know the other players. So the players that you've got coming through the B team, like your Zambarex and stuff, they've never heard of them. So they don't kind of really count them as part of your squads. Whereas for us, all of a sudden, I think what's now come on, Emiliano Marcondes has come on and he's like basically torn Fulham to shreds. And everyone's like going, who the hell is this bloke? We've got no idea who he was. So talk about cameo players, Marcondes, Fosu, Baptiste, you know, Zambarex, like, you know, all these rackets. Those are the cameo players. These are the players who people are not, you know, are not rating or don't know anything about, but actually could play a massive part in, you know, what's going to happen to us over the next, I don't know, two, two months. The thing is, we, Brian, and Bre- Brian and Buemo hasn't been mentioned at all in, in these discussions. Like, you know, he was, a, he was a key part of the BMW front three. And um, I hate to say it, like, we, we will obviously, you will always miss Brian and Buemo. He's a, f- a phenomenal attacking player. Really good pace, really good turn of speed, always got an eye for goal. But Tarek Fosu is more than capable understudy to Brian and Buemo. And Shandon Baptiste is a more than capable understudy to Matthias Jensen and Josh De Silva in midfield. We've got a phenomenal backup. That bench is, is, is juicy, it's mouthwatering. We've got a really juicy. genuinely, juicy. genuinely <laughs> disgustingly good bench who's of the, players that can come on. Who's the juiciest? Who's the juiciest? I'm the juiciest, Jimmy, Matt, you know that. Um, <laughs> but I think it's just the... the, the, the you answer that. the question. Who is the juiciest? Who is the juiciest? The juiciest, the I would bench. say, that we've got on the bench, I think Tarek Fosu, having him as a, as a, as a, a supporting role to Mbwemo and Ben Rama in the wide plays, he, I mean, in the pre-season games, and whenever he's made cameo appearances, like you say, he's looked phenomenal. He is the juiciest for me. Juicy Tarek. Uh, juiciest. So there we go. So listen, juices are flowing here as we're on the green here. Like I said, they're still serving drinks over there. They've even got a television on watching the football as well, which is uh, which is all good. And we're sitting here. We've got our drinks. We're sitting in here in one, one and a bit metres apart. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more football after this twang. We've actually been really busy this week at Besotted. And one of the people that we actually spoke to was Brentford assistant coach Brian Reema. Uh, we had a good old chat with him, but what we thought is we'd just give you a little snippet of what we talked about because it's probably relevant, hopefully, for the West Brom game that's coming up. And what he told us is why he thought that he brought a certain mentality to Brentford and what he brought to the club. When you started at the club, Thomas Frank said that he felt that you would bring a winning mindset to the club. Is that true? And what did he mean by that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just, you know... I, I think it's always difficult to talk about things like that, but one thing that I have learned is, is that from, from being in Copenhagen in 10 years, um, it's, um, my, my, my time in Copenhagen, I mean, it's a massive club in, in Scandinavia, and, and the thing is that from the board's perspective, there is only one thing that counts, and that is winning. Um, there, is, there is no such thing as, as celebrating a position in the league. Uh, there is only one thing that counts, and that's the championship. Um, no, no qualification to a European group stage is, is a failure. And, I mean, every weekend you must win. Um, now, for me, that is a culture, and that's something you need to learn because if you don't have that mindset, you, you, you potentially will play a lot of good football games and you will do well in many aspects, but, but you won't succeed um, when it comes to, to gaining big results and, 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 like, for us here to promote. So I think that that culture is something that I've been bred up with in Copenhagen. I think that is a really important thing in football because even though we have our playing style and we have our ways of, of, of you know, doing things, we also have goals and, um, and goals is, is often connected to winning. So, so bringing that mentality uh, with me um, that 
you know, whatever we do, if it's a training session, uh, if it's a drill, if it's a game, if it's a friendly, if, if it's a cup game, we, we always uh, have that mentality with us that, that we, we only accept winning, we only accept victory. I think that is a very, very important thing for, for players, but also for a club to bring in. Um, and and I, I feel that, you know, again, from, from being in a club where that was a part of their um, DNA, uh, it has given me a fantastic foundation to, to, uh, to kind of bring that on uh, in, in my role here in Brentford. So we've got a game on Friday, and it's a massive game now as West Brom come to Griffin Park. And like I said, it's a, as they call it, a six-pointer. And when you've got six points in the bag, you need to get as much information from the opposition as you can. So we're going to the West Brom expert up in the Midlands there, Connor from West Brom Fan TV. Connor, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good, man. Good, man. Season is back. And uh, it's, it's ridiculous because it's gone from like no football at all to like so much football. Like, it's, it's, getting, it's, getting, it's getting too much, isn't it, almost? Or is it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exciting now, obviously. We went three months where we didn't have nothing yet it's it's probably not the same because obviously the fan element isn't there and there's no crowds and stuff like that but I'm just really happy to have the football back like you say two brilliant teams going head to head Friday at Griffin Park final time uh, West Brom well any team really this season will go down to Griffin Park because of your uh, new stadium I believe isn't it you know, we're talking about loads of games. Obviously, the first game was on Saturday. We had a big derby against Fulham, which is a big one for us. And, uh, you know, we really wanted to, not even needed to, but wanted to win that game. And we got a big result out of that. We were so happy with that one as well. You had a big derby as well with uh, the Birmingham City, you know. I'm just wondering, you know, wh- where did you watch it? I watched it at home. Um, I got an follow code from a club because... Um, obviously, with the season tickets being refunded, you, you had a couple of options. You could have the iFollow pass and watch the rest of the games. And I, I picked that one. And yeah, it, it, you you guys were brilliant against Fulham. I've I've said it to you before, Billy. I think um, remember when we had that um, podcast on All Leeds TV where we spoke about who I thought would um, get promoted, and I did actually tip Brentford to be promoted and actually take Leeds' place in a second spot. Um, that was my prediction because I just watched your front three and you're absolutely brilliant. You know, obviously you got MUMO out for, against us due to him having COVID-19 symptoms. But even then, Ollie Watkins, Ben Rama, Jensen, you've got Pontus Janssen, Ethan Pinnock, you know, you've got some brilliant players and you're just an, a really exciting team to watch. I, I do. I, I must admit, I do have a bit of a soft spot for Brentford. We are exciting. I mean, probably a little bit rusty on on Friday or Saturday, um, as everybody was rusty because they haven't played for three months. You know, so our game was a bit cagey for a while. Fulham were all right to be to be fair, but we kind of just kept them back, locked them down, and hit them with two sucker punches from a player that they probably didn't even know exist. Uh, Emiliano Marcondes but you guys I mean we stayed on afterwards I mean I had the I had the, the TV out in the garden I had mates around I had the barbecue I had the full Monty you know just enjoying the day to watch your game afterwards and your game wasn't quite as exciting the goals didn't happen I mean what happened against Birmingham are you disappointed with that match? I was a bit disappointed because I think we create. we actually I, thought, I think there was a stat saying that we had the most crosses in 
any game we've played and it was like 25. We had a lot of possession. We just, it didn't click going forward. Um, obviously, players like Dian Garner, uh, Pereira and stuff like that, usually really good at uh, making things happen. But I just, I think we dominated the game in terms of possession, but I don't think either side really had that clear-cut chance. Um, we were lacking that end product really you know there was a lot of times where uh, for example Matt Phillips was going down the the wing and he just wasn't crossing it in the players didn't look some of the players didn't look 100% but you can expect that due to uh, what's happened and the lengthy break what the players have had so I mean so I mean a bit of rustiness there like I said to you a lot of teams are rusty but yeah definitely yeah before the break I mean, a lot of the pundits, you know, I mean, I know it's interesting what you say there about Brentford, about, you know, probably doing like a little secret squirrel and popping its head up at the last minute. But you're saying the, a lot of the pundits had West Brom and Leeds as dead certs for automatic promotion. Uh, were you confident, I mean, about yourself as well? I mean, you talked about, the, you know, Leeds maybe being a little bit shaky, which a lot of people say, nah, these are gone. But, you know, what was your thoughts there? I've got nothing against Leeds. I've, I've, I really haven't. But. I just, I, I, something's telling me that they're gonna, they're gonna drop out of the ray. Like they're gonna be playoffs, and Brentford are gonna us, us and Brentford are gonna go up automatically. And I know I can, I know some people will probably think, oh, he's on a Brentford podcast, or oh, he's just saying this to, um, because it's what you guys want to hear. But I genuinely, I've said it all. I've said it to you a lot of the times we've had interviews. I've always said that. Um, Brentford I've, I just have a feeling that they will I, I don't know why I just I just think the way you guys play is really attractive football it's good to watch and I, I do believe that you're on really good form at the minute and some of your players like Ben Rama and Watkins they seem unstoppable at the minute I mean Ollie Watkins is pretty much on the same goals as Alexandra Mitrovic and I think that's a brilliant achievement from does he play on the wing? He plays on the wing sometimes, doesn't he, Ollie Watkins? He came from the wing and now he's playing straight down the middle, you see. So he's actually, it's a new, posi- new position for him. So that's why we're actually quite proud of him to actually have just flipped the script and learned how to play as a striker. Because when he started at the beginning of the season, he actually said to the fans, look, please, please be patient with me. I've never done this before, you know, so just give us a few, you know, give us a few months or whatever it is. And he really picked up quickly. And that's the thing. Um, I think Brentford have got a lot of young, hungry players who always want to do well. Um, you know, Ollie Watkins, like you just said, he was, you know, he, he told the fans to be patient with him. And, you know, he, you've probably found his best position. There's one player that a lot of Brentford fans really still love. We, you know, we had no problems when he left. You know, obviously, you'd like somebody to go to, to, go to another, maybe... Not a competitive club as in out the league, but no one has any animosity against this guy at all. He's absolutely wicked. Romain Sawyer's such a lovely bloke. And we just want to know how you've been taking care of him. Yeah, he's a a good player, really good player, really comfortable on the ball. Um, There was a few, there was a few before the coronavirus, there was a few fans saying that he's a bit negative because he doesn't go forward a lot. Um, But for me, I think he's a smart player. I think he, you know, he he keeps the ball, he passes the ball out in dangerous positions. And I did notice a difference when he wasn't in the team because, you know, the, the, the range of passing what he has is unbelievable. And, you know, obviously he used to play for West Brom as well um, as an academy player. He, he went out to Warsaw 
things didn't work out for him at West Brom in the first instance. But then he went to Brentford, made a bit of a name for himself, and now he's back at West Brom. And you know, we all love him. He's a he's he's a great person, not just on the pitch, off the pitch. Like his personality, the things he does with the fans, the way he interacts with them. You know, it's second to none, really. So you're saying he's a great asset for the club. So you know, obviously there's Romain Sawyer's, but you know. You've got a wealth of goodies in your team. I mean, who should we be looking out for on Friday night? Well, there's a few. Um, obviously, Grady Diangana, one of the most one of the da- most dangerous players in the Championship, um, along with Mateus Pereira. Absolutely brilliant, those two players. And if those two are on the game, even Kravinovic, Filip Kravinovic, um, before the you know the cr- coronavirus, Kravinovic was absolutely brilliant. Um, he didn't play on. Um, so he didn't start, sorry, on Saturday, but when he came on, he looked like he was uh, to his old self. And, you know, there's there's quite a few players, even Robson Carnu this season, you know, he, he's never been at a club and scored double figures. But this season at West Brom, he has. And it's the first time he's ever done it in his career, I believe. Um, and, you know, if he gets a chance, he will put it in the back of the net. And, you know, he's... There's a lot of dangerous players, but it's going to be a really, really tough match. I think, you know, both sides are really well matched. I'd, I'd probably say that your attack is slightly better overall. Um, but, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I am nervous, but I do think if we get the win and we can win a couple more games, maybe one or two more, I do genuinely be, believe we can hold on, especially with you know, free game advantage at the minute, uh, you know, two wins and a draw, seven points clear of third. We've just got to be confident going into the game against Brentford. So I'm just wondering, I mean, there's eight games left to go. How do you think the back end of this season will pan out with the teams that are, you know, in and around the top six or the, maybe the top eight, the top nine? You know what you're saying about the one and the two and maybe the playoff four as well? I think first position, West Brom. I think second position, Brentford. I think third will be Leeds. And I do think it will be a Leeds-Fulham playoff final with Leeds winning and um, going up through the playoffs. That's a definite flip on what other people are saying as well. And on uh, Friday night as well, you know, you're going to be watching it again at home on on the iFollow, are you? Yeah, definitely. Give us a score prediction for that one. It's such a tough game. It really is probably the hardest game this season because... When you guys came down to the Hawthorns, you were one of the best teams we'd faced. And with your form, you know, I'm going to say a 2-1 West Brom win. I'm going to, I'm going to go with my heart. Semi Ajayi from a corner. Um, Grady Dean Garner. And I'm going to say Ollie Watkins for you guys. But I think we'll just edge it, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Wicked Connor, listen, great chatting to you. And it's glad that football's back. Glad that you, I can see you smiling, even though I can't see you physically. I can see the smile on your face now as you're thinking towards that game on Friday. And maybe we'll probably catch up after the game. Yeah, definitely. With a virtual beer, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, cheers anyway. And uh, good luck for the rest of the season to Brentford. Yeah, good luck to you guys as well, man. Nice one. So the return of Romain Sawyers, much loved at Griffin Park, great player, lovely bloke, but Friday night, I'm sorry mate, Romain, you are going to have to be on the losing side as far as we're concerned, because this is a big, big game for Brentford. Three points, it's going to be the difference between us getting excited between now and the end of the season about finishing higher 
than third place or just 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 playing out the playoffs right basically you know if we lose against West Brom you know let's let's be honest about it you know any thoughts about finishing higher than third place any thoughts of finishing second are are out the window it's very slight that we're going to finish second anyway. I mean, again, if you go to all the stats sites, you know, 538, you know, 631, they say, okay, Brentford, third place is what they're saying, you know, based on the way that we're playing at the moment, you know, all the statistical levels, all the other teams, what they're doing, home and away, even though for home games, they've actually reduced it in the stats world by 60%. Home advantage has been reduced by 60%, they say, because without the fans, they've had to put a number on it, so it's reduced by 60%. But still, on top of that, we are actually in third place interestingly if you actually look at the stats people and to see our performance levels how we're performing we're actually performing as the second best team still so Leeds the best um, even though they lost at the weekend we're the second best overall West Brom are the third best and then I can't remember after that it might be Fulham um, I think Fulham might be the fourth best then it's, but it's a massive drop after that you know with uh, Preston Cardiff uh, Nottingham Forest we're kind of we're really, really way up there but according to the stats people I think they think that the time um the gap, the amount of games that we've got between now and the end of the season is probably going to be not enough for us to actually get second place. And they're saying third place. But interesting, we just heard from Connor there from West Brom Fan TV. And he actually felt that we're going to get second place. And listen, you know, we didn't bribe him to say that. You know, he's been saying it all season and he still does really believe it. So Friday night, West Brom, that's going to be a bit of a humdinger of a game, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be good, mate. Um Obviously, you mentioned the return of Romain Sawyers. He's a hero around this part of the world. One of my favourite players ever to grace the uh, red and white stripes, I think, for many reasons. An absolute classy player. But what um, gives me a hope for Friday is that when we went to the Hawthorns, I think we had an absolute... um, Well, we we were fantastic. Um, Probably were, fair to say, the better team on the day and should have won the game. It was one all, but I remember very well... won the lap, should have had the penalty because they'd done the handball and went up and scored, that's, that's, that's how it goes but I don't think West Brom really had the better of us at all in that game and that gives me a lot of hope for when they come back to our place um, so I feel quite confident, I think we're going to get a win I think, it's, I mentioned earlier that, that you know Pontus being back and all that and having a really strong squad to pick from puts us as as good as anyone in the league, I think you know removing the home advantage side of it uh, I, I think we are, we are, why not we're, I think we're, we are up there were the best in the league we could well be top two but I don't think Percy has enough games left for that to happen but listen a win on Friday which is very possible then on Saturday you've got Leeds playing Fulham, Fulham who, are you gonna, who are you going to support for that one? well it's it's, why it's a no win no lose situation isn't it? Fulham beat Leeds beat West Brom we're right back in it um, I, think we're gonna, I think we're going to beat West Brom on Friday Bill that's what you really want me to say, isn't it? Listen, you can say what you want there. Just going back to the West Brom game up at West Brom, which we played very well, and we went ahead, I remember rightly, and then, and then they equalised. It's a bit of a gutter, but people probably forget this because um, there's certain games that Pontus has been out for, and Pontus Janssen actually didn't play in that game. So that was one game that Pontus didn't actually have you know, to put his mark on. So he's going to be back for this one, and it could be quite interesting because... Um, West Brom, even though they've got some great players and they've got some great attackers, they haven't got as potent as an attack force as what 
as what we have as well. So you would like to think with Ethan Pinnock, who's the man, I mean, I listened to uh, Ted Knutson, um, you know, Statsbomb podcast today, and they were, they were chatting about Ethan Pinnock, and uh, the guy who's doing it with because, oh, I love Ethan Pinnock. He literally, he's just, he's just there. He just gets in the way. He just kind of knows where the ball is every yeah, time. Yeah, he is. So, you know, with Ethan Pinnock on form as he is now, and with Pontus in there, I would like to think that, you know, West Brom would be getting a slightly tougher time that they did when we went up to West Brom um, back before Christmas and of course we've got our attack force we've got our reinvigorated midfield as well you know Norgard when he's on fire he's on, you know he is on fire and he is he is the man in the middle the, the, the breaker down of the distributor so I'm thinking that this game will really shed a light on Brentford and show us whether or not we can actually take it up two notches. It's all about momentum now, isn't it? And you know what I what I saw of the West Brom match is they looked really flat. They, it did. They didn't. They didn't look scary. Um, we know that they they've been a really good team all the way through the season. Um, obviously, forget that at the moment. This is literally these last eight games now. Um, I, I don't think Brentford will be be particularly you know scared I mean I, I think it's just all about us I think we're just focusing on what we're capable of doing um, and you know the momentum and the positivity and, and, the, and, the, and the, the confidence coming out of the, the Fulham game is going to just buoy us even more um, you know West Brom are going to come a little bit a little bit scared if I'm honest with you probably so um, you know I, I'm, yeah I, I'm, I'm <laughs> If, if I, I'm going to be rabid after after you know uh, if we if we can beat West Brom, I think then we can actually start to believe. I think Jim's right. Really, we are probably a little bit too far away from that second position. But then you know you start beating beating you know West Brom, who are in second. Then you kind of it just reels them in. Then I think we can start to kind of start believing a little bit more. Yeah, I think. Um... The, the, the win against Fulham is such a, a fantastic springboard. You know, if we'd have drawn that game or lost that game, I'd have been a little bit more wary and maybe consigned myself to, uh, say, consigned myself. I'd expected a, a playoff finish, should we say, in, in third or fourth. The fact that we've actually gone and beaten our local rivals 2 0 away from home in the fashion that we did, it was, you know, you could call it a bit of a smash and grab. The fact that we've done that really does help in sort of cementing our position as we are going for the top two. The West Brom game is going to be a very, very difficult one, I think more difficult than we give them credit for. Fair enough, we say that they haven't got as good an attack as us, but they have got the most creative player in the league, arguably, in Matthias Pereira, second only to Saeed Benrahma, obviously. Um, and then, in that, but then again, in that respect, we've got Christian Norgard, who is your classic take-no-prisoners-fuck-off defensive midfielder. And having that that to counteract that will be a very, very interesting battle. We've certainly got a better defence than them. I know they've got, they've got Shemi Ajayi, who's a phenomenal... Um, centre half and Sam Johnson's a great goalkeeper but I think the Pontus Janssen effect Ethan Pinnock is in form we've got probably two of the best fullbacks in the division Rico Henry and Henrik Dalsgaard it's going to be it's going to be a, a tantalising game of football I'm, I'm calling it I'm calling it a Brentford victory as well it's going to be a tight one all I, all I know is that we've got the momentum of having beaten our local rivals away from home they've had a pretty disappointing draw against their local rivals and I think that sort of springboard and Dave mentioned momentum earlier on I think that's going to be key to this game what I'm going to 
just because Laney just I mean I'm, I'm, I don't do the old brag but I might as well do the old brag as well and bring Melvin. it up now yeah the Melvin brag <laughs> before the restart I also did I also did put my hand up and I said that I felt that Brentford were going to finish in the top two I mean I, I had a bit of a rush of blood to my head but I was I was quite potty for it and I did feel and I still have a feeling because it's one of those things once you get on a momentum you start winning it's like that 1992 uh, season all of a sudden we just, just started to win you just we didn't look like we were out of the picture. Then all of a sudden we just won one game. Then we just carried on winning, kept on winning all the way to, towards the end of the season. I just think it could be one of those scenarios where we'll just go, tell you what, why not? Let's just go and just win every single game. Bang, bang, bang. So I still have a feeling in my bones that we are going to surprise people. I'm going to go around the table here, though, and get a score prediction from you guys. Uh, so what he said, I think it'll be a home win. And I'm going to go for 2-0 again going to give some scorers just because I did get a first goal scorer right on Saturday ask bet365 if you don't believe me I'm going to say um, Watkins and is, is Mabuemo playing is he, is he back I don't know, I don't know. It's going to be can he back it's going to be sick is well, it possible well, if he's on seven days and, seven and, days isn't it and if he got if he got um, diagnosed maybe just after weekend last weekend then he you know he'd be back in training now yeah he has, but he has, he has just had coronavirus at the same time it was, it, was, it was asymptomatic though, wasn't it? Okay. Would be foolish to bet on him to score. So I'm going to say um, Watkins and Mark on this. 2-0 Bees. I'm going to go 1-0 Bees. I'm going to go with a Pontus Janssen header because I'm on the Pontus Express at the moment. Uh, what I will say, though, is uh, my, real gripe, my real shame about this is not being able to live see Romain Sawyers playing football back at Griffin Park again. That's the only drawback. Very good point. 3-1 Brentford. I can't see us not conceding... Again. Oh, ye of little faith. But I'm definitely going to go for the win. I think we'll, I think we'll absolutely go hell for leather. So, yeah, bring it on, mate. Two nil to bees. I'm going to say any more than that. So, this is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. We're on the green. It's a marvellous green. They've got a television over there. They've got a bar over there. They've got lots of people sitting around. We've had a fantastic afternoon or evening even talking football talking about beating Fulham talking about West Brom on Saturday listen nothing else to say now big match on Friday big match on Friday not Saturday as we say come on you bees bees. can't wait for Friday come on you bees The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.